G'day again from the bloody Aussie Battler with your host Mike Holt. This is the third in a series of eight interviews I did with Brian Shaw and we started out by having a look at the historical perspective of our Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act and in the second series we discussed what had gone wrong and led up to the situation we find ourselves in today. In this segment, we're going to look at where the framers of the Australia Act went wrong. And boy, did they go wrong without even realizing that they had put a very powerful weapon in our hands to bring them into line and make them conform to the Commonwealth of Australia Constitution Act 1901. So right now I'm going to introduce Brian and we'll find out just what has been going on and what we can do to remedy the situation. Are you ready? Do you know that by 2030, as many as 800 million jobs could be lost worldwide to automation? Future Blackboard is an educational platform for developing emerging careers, jobs and skills. Future Blackboard offers courses designed for the future. Are you concerned about cybersecurity? Future Blackboard is offering a course on how to spot and beat hackers, prevent tracking, browse anonymously, and counter government surveillance, as well as master the tools for antivirus, malware, and disk encryption. Future Blackboard is offering a special price for just $65 for June and July in cybersecurity and anonymity. Enroll now at www.futureblackboard.com and click on Courses on the menu. Dick Yardley's book, Australian Political and Religious Leaders, Treason, Treachery and Sabotage. Dick exposes how Whitlam, Hawke, Keating, Goss, Rudd and all the other Fabians have destroyed our manufacturing and agriculture. If you want to know exactly how they have done it, get Dick's book at advanceaustralia.com.au and click on merchandise. Knowledge is power. Get the power to fight the corruption today. Um, what we'll start at is what you call, what, what was the procedure before the Australia Act? I, when a bill came out of a parliament, whether it was a state parliament or a commonwealth parliament, um, prior to the Australia Act, it had to have what you call royal assent before it became an act. And any bill that had anything to do with any constitutional structure, either state or commonwealth, had to go back to the UK so that they could run it past the two houses to see if they'd tried to put something in there that shouldn't be in there or had gone beyond their power. That's essentially what the Royal Assent issue is. Now, I think they still use those words, Royal Assent. It's either Royal Assent or Enactment. Now, in the relationship of a Royal Assent, it's a fraudulent one. It must be fraudulent because when the Australia Act began to what you call it, began in a cafe, Hawke sitting with six premiers. You can call it a cabal of criminals about to do something really bad. What they needed to do was to shut out the United Kingdom so that they could actually wreak havoc with what you call in-house acts, Australian acts. They needed to take what you call the enactment pen away from the United Kingdom. Now, I'll give you an example of that. 
because it happened in Victoria. In 1854, the Victorian Parliament sent that constitution to England to get this royal assent. But when it got to England, uh, it went left Victoria as 71 clauses and a three-centre backing page. When it got to England, it eventually got the floor of the House of Commons, 10th of May 1950, 1855. I'm saying that specific date, so if people want to research it, they'll find the UK Hansards for that. That's a good read that night. It came in at about 10.30 at night. Now, the first thing the House said was, this is the most unusual bill that's ever been before this House, because it's not the bill that left Victoria. Hmm. You're getting on the page? Yes. The one that left Victoria had 71 clauses and three signature backing page. The one that was put on the floor of the House had 61 clauses and no backing page. So what did they take out? They took out the various clauses, but the issue becomes who had the authority to take them out, because the Victorians didn't even know that this was happening to the document they sent. Hmm. It's like giving a document to your lawyer, a contract, and you just run your eye over. And suddenly when you go back, he owns the title of your house. Because hmm. he's a bit smarter than you. Don't give documents that you don't know what you're giving. If you're giving 71 clauses, 71, why didn't we get that back? Hmm. So who took it out? That's why I'm saying that May 10, 1855, Hans, UK Hansards is a really good read. Because it shows everything that went wrong. And what I'm saying is, those royal assent capacities and whatever are critical. And Hawke and his little cabal of criminals sitting in some cafe, that was the premiers, Hawke and the premiers, what they said was, well, how are we going to bring in the Australia Act without making, waking the Australians up? Reasonable comment? Yeah. Because what they did is they found a section in Section 51 of the Commonwealth Constitution where, with what's called a request from the parliaments, we can make this happen. But were they already beginning to trick the Aussie? Now, not hard to trick the Aussie. It's really, unfortunately. Yes. That's what these podcasts are supposed to do. Show the Aussie how they got tricked. Mm. And see if you can get the Aussie to turn the trick the other way. Right. But... When they did it, they chose a section out of Section 51 of the Commonwealth Constitution, which what you call at the request of the parliaments. Now, here's where the Australia Act goes pear-shaped. Everyone talks about the Australia Act instead of talking about the Request Acts. Reasonable comment? Yes. Because that Request Act bound the particular states to do something to request the Act. Mm -hmm. Three in particular. There was Western Australia, Queensland, and New South Wales. Now, they would have had to do something under Section 106 of the Commonwealth Constitution before they could send that request back to London. Reasonable comment? Are you keeping up here? Yes, I am. I'm just bringing up the uh, Constitution in front of me while you talk. I see. I'm only asking that question to make sure somebody else would say, are we keeping up or not? Because fortunately, with this sort of stuff, they can always hit the pause button and rewind. Hmm. Anyone understand that? So the issue of the Australia Act is in the Request Acts, not in the Australia Act. I'll tell you why. Queensland 
sent the state request off back off to England. That's not disagreed, eh? Right. It went off to England. Problem is, section 106 says it must be in accordance to the state constitution. Now, at that time, uh, you would have been bound by section 53 of your state constitution. You didn't use, you didn't abide by it. Somebody jumped clean over the top of it. You didn't have. It would have bound you to a state referendum for the Request Act. Got it? Yep. In Western Australia, Section 73, subsection 2 of their state constitution would have bound them, bound them totally to a referendum. State referendum. Hmm. Same in West New South Wales. They're the only three states that had the referendum conditions in their state constitutions at that time. Now, the little cabal of criminals sitting in a cafe in Canberra, and that's where it all happened, said, well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to jump clean over the top of that and do it anyway. So the request acts are actually criminal acts. They, 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 uh, they did not use their state constitution requirements to kick the first part in. Then when you get now to highlight that point, Section 13 of the Australia Act is the alteration of your Queensland Constitution. And then you'll see Section 11 and whatever. But they're all in Section 53. Before Anderson changed your Constitution in 2001. When you read Section 53 before 2001, and then you read it after, it's like it's written in Latin. One's in English, the other's in Latin. I'm, not, I'm only saying Latin to show you. They're totally different words in there. Gibberish. They didn't, buy, they didn't abide by Section 53 at all. But all of that becomes relevant because you'll find the Queensland Constitution is Section 13 of the Australia Act. But they didn't abide by the referendum condition hmm. in your Constitution. But Section 14 of the West Australian Constitution amends and it amends Section 50 and 51. They're two of the six session sections in the West Australian Constitution bound to a state referendum. Did they have it? No, they didn't. So they ended up in Section 3 and 13 and Section 14. But in their stupidity, they put Section 6 into the Australia Act. And when you read Section 6, it says if it does not abide by manner and form, manner and form is a referendum condition, it's not valid. So what you just do to the Australia Act, just with a walk in the park like that? Unreal. Correct. But here comes the biggest problem. You've got a bigger problem than that. Who was the Prime Minister at the time of the Australia Act? Wasn't that Bob Hall? And when they did what you call a Senate inquiry at one time to try to get rid of Section 44, because I'd written to them a couple of years before to say, if your Senators or House of Reps are at all Freemasons, they'll be in breach of Section 44, subsection 1. Hmm. Well, then they had a little sit-down to work out how to get Section 44 out. There's a book written, a book written by the Parliament. It's called Aspects of Section 44. So it's a parliamentary book. And the book shows they're trying to get it out. But they said they can't get it out without legislative or an executive amendment. They can't use that. That left out the third arm, judicial arm. That's the reason why they had Sue versus Hill. Hmm. And they swung Sue versus Hill, or the foreign power in Section 44-1, to 
UK being the foreign power. They needed to do that because it was all being run here by the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem. That's Vatican. Fair comment? Yes. So does that mean that the High Court of Australia judges work for the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem? Apparently so. Well, that'll disqualify them from many hearing they're going to tie to here now that this, uh, the disqualification challenges will be coming in now in the High Court. But because of the removal of the Queen, can the seven judges be legally sitting there? No, of course not. Did you criminally charge them? That's what I'm saying to the Aussie. The Aussie's got the right now to criminally charge them. But why would you charge seven High Court judges? Most people don't understand what the Senate is. They haven't got a clue. Most people don't understand the capacity of the House of Reps. And it's as simple as this. The Senators represent the state. They're state Senators, which have a governor. And the House of Reps rents, represents the House, you know, the, the, the Commonwealth or the people of the Commonwealth. So that's why they vote in two different types, one for the Senate, one for the House of Reps. Right. But the average person doesn't understand who issues those writs for that. Now, over in West Australia, the state of West Australia, using the Parliament of West Australia, so they're all complicit. They're what you call natural persons. They're not the entities or whatever. If you need to sue them or charge them, they're natural persons. Every one of them has got a pulse. They can't hide under the corporate umbrella. Hmm. When you name them as a natural person, they are, in that capacity, liable, civil and criminal, in both capacities. Now, because the average person doesn't know the structure and how to do it, the moment a judge or anyone takes you to court, you are legally able to arrest that judge or magistrate because of the removal of the claim. What's the next process? And the next process is critical because there's a pro- in, in in when you arrest somebody, either private citizens arrest or the coppers do it. They're, all the coppers, state and federal, know the process. Someone's got to take them to trial. Hmm. Well, the guys working in the courtroom doing those arrests don't know the process. So if you don't understand the process, essentially the arrest is only the beginning. Now, what they should be doing, let's say they arrest a magistrate or a copper at the bar table, they'll usually have a police station fairly close, that that copper at the bar table would belong to that station that came from. Well, the simplest thing to do after the arrest, same hour, is walk down to the cop shop and lodge the charge officially. Yes. You can't charge that guy. It's me mate. Well, if you don't want to lay the charge, I'll charge you too. That's how it works. That's how you get the coppers involved. Hmm. And people are trying to do it, in, but when they're trying to do it, they're on their own. This well, I, read the, I read the Queensland Crimes Act the other day, and I think it's Section 20. The police are legally obliged to take action if you bring a legal case to them. When I first laid my first private prosecution charge, which was on a Supreme Court master in Victoria, when I put it on the counter at the criminal section of the Melbourne Magistrates Court, he handed it straight back to me and he said, no way I'm signing that off. I said, why? He said, look who that is. I said, you mean a Supreme Court boy? Yeah, I'm not touching that. I said, that's fine with me. Cross his name out, Cobber, and put yours there. I'm charging you. That gave him a hello. Yeah. And then he looked at me and he goes, you're fair dingum, aren't you? I said, what, you think I walk in here and let you play the tune? 
I said, just sign the damn thing off and stamp it. He said, no, 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 but give me a couple of days. And when I went back, it, it signed it off. Because hmm. he knew. And that's as simple as that. If a copper doesn't want to do it, he's got his name on the badge. And you always take the blank one in with you. Yes. So you can put his name on. That's the correct. So when you're only arresting at the bar table, that's only the beginning. That's right. Well, they did issue the arrest warrants, I believe, but two weeks later. Um, Brian, we're going to have to stop here because we're just about out. Well, we are out of time. But uh, let's continue on. Um, what will be the topic of the next one? Well, I'd like to pursue this one a little bit further. Prosecution. Yes. Because I know a lot of people are very, very, uh, you know, they're very keen to go out and arrest these guys. But as I keep cautioning people, slow down and learn how to do it properly. Lawfully. I totally agree. That'll be our next subject, eh? Okay. You have been listening to the Bloody Aussie Battler podcast. 